a week. And we'd be part of that one expression of your church locally who gets to spend some moments together worshiping and lifting up your name. And we realize that we're only here because of you. It is by your grace, it is through your mercy that we are able to have a relationship with our creator, our father. It's through the work of Jesus Christ on the cross that God the Father can see us as holy and righteous and just. Thank you so much for that. I, it, is, it is my prayer, it is my heart's cry that our praise to you would be sweet this morning. It is my prayer, it is my heart's desire that your spirit would be able to touch us and encourage us in our faith. Father, as we open your word in the next few moments, I pray that folks would be able to see Jesus Christ and only you. I pray that it would be your words that are heard, not mine. I pray that we would be able to leave this place better servants of Jesus Christ, more willing to put our hearts and our lives on the line for you. We pray that this expression of your church would be sweet before you this morning. In your wonderful and precious name we pray. Amen. Thanks. You can have a seat. Isn't it great to worship together with believers, with other believers, and uh, just to be reminded of who Jesus Christ is and what he's done for us. And I know that if I don't move some of this back, I am going to end up ruining something. Uh, it is just my nature. So we're glad that you're with us this morning and we are going to continue on with what Pastor Mike started last week. We're looking at some of the distinctives of the church for the next few weeks. And uh, this morning we're going to be looking at the distinctive or the characteristic of the church and we're going to be looking at fellowship. And if you were with us last week, Pastor Mike started us out by talking and giving us this definition. The church is the community of true believers in Jesus Christ. It is those folks who have come to the place where they understood that they were sinners in need of a Savior. And they understood the fact that without the work of Jesus Christ on the cross, there was absolutely nothing that they could do to make themselves right with God, their Creator, God the Father. It is our sin that separates us from his holiness and from his perfection. The sin in our lives. Scripture is very clear. It tells us this in Romans. For as by one man sin entered into the world, then death passed upon all men, for we all have sinned. And because of our sin, we're born in sin. And because of our sin and our very nature of sin, we are separated from God the Father. And it is through the work of Jesus Christ on the cross that we are made right with God the Father, with God. And when we are made right by his forgiveness and his washing our sins clean, then we have the privilege and the opportunity of entering into the very presence of God himself because he sees us through the finished work of Jesus Christ. We are empowered by the Holy Spirit, and that empowering of the Holy Spirit gives us the ability to live out Jesus Christ to the people that we live life with every day, our family, our friends, our co-workers, the neighborhoods that we live in. We get the privilege of living out Jesus Christ 
through the power and the work of the Holy Spirit within us. And as a church, those true believers, those people who have come together or come to that place where they understood their need of a Savior and have accepted what Christ has done on their behalf, those people are called the church. The church is not the building. It is the people who gather that are called the church. There is a local expression of the church. We happen as Mossbrook. We get to be one of those local expressions of church. the church. There are multiple local expressions of the church who are meeting in Oxford Hills right now this morning and they are also praising God as we are. So there is a local expression of the church, but there is also a worldwide expression of the church. We, if you stop and you pause for a few moments and you look worldwide, you realize that the church is much larger than just us. There's a lot of people that make up the church. And that church is an expression of the finished work of Jesus Christ in people's lives. Now that body of believers, us, those who have come to the place where they understand who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. We make up a body, but we are made up of a group of people and we have distinctions. We have things about us that the closer we get to Jesus Christ, the more like him we become, the more these distinctives become real in our lives. And last week, Pastor Mike talked about understanding doctrine and who Jesus is and the truths about who God is. And those things become real in our life. They're not just things that we know in our heads. They're things that we live out every day in our lives. And this morning, I want to talk to you about fellowship. And fellowship is, is how we interact with one another. It's how we get along within the body of Jesus Christ. And often when we talk about the distinctives of the body or of the church, we, because of our, how our brains and how we work, we think big, we think program-wise, we think ministry. And these distinctives aren't ministries. They may end up in how we function or how we do ministry, but they're actually who we are. They're actually who God is, who Jesus Christ, who the Holy Spirit is in us. And so they may work out in how we live life or we do ministry, but remember, they're who we are. They're who we're supposed to be with Jesus Christ. So to really understand fellowship, we have to, under, we have to unpack some of the definition of the word. The, fel the word fellowship comes from a New Testament Greek word, and Mike's always giving you Greek words, so I'm going to give you one. You ready for this? The word is this, koinonia, all right? So ready? You're going to say it with me. Theater two, three, online, ready? One, two, three, the word is koinonia. All right, you did very well. I'm impressed. You've learned Greek already. Okay, one more time. Here we go. Ready? One, two, three, koinonia. The word koinonia means this. It means joint participation or contribution. It means to share with each other. It means communion with God and with others in faith. It means to hold something in common and be really, we would say it this way in our day and age, we would say to be on the same page with someone else. You, ever, you know what I mean when I say that, right? That you're, you're heading in the same direction we're pulling together, going the same way. My father used to, to say that, that fellowship 
And this was the easy way to remember it. He used to say this to to us. He used to say, fellowship is two fellows in a ship. Okay? Fellowship. Now you say that's a little crazy, but think about it for a moment. He was on to something. And the reason is that he was on to something is this. Think about two people in a ship or in a boat. They're in close proximity to one another. They can't get away. You're in a boat. And the smaller the boat, the closer you are. And not only are they in close proximity to one another, they're engaged in the same activities together. Because if you're in a small boat, let's say you're in a canoe or a rowboat or something like that, if one of you does not engage in the same activities, it gets really hard for the other, does it not? And if one of you is not engaging in the same activities, it gets very boring for the other. Correct? And so fellowship is this, that we have something in common. We're in close proximity to one another and we are engaging in the same activities together for an end result. And that's really the definition in the church. And this morning, I want to unpack that a little bit for you and help you to see that fellowship is not a meal after the church service. That's, that's not fellowship. It can be part of fellowship, but that's, that doesn't create fellowship. It can be a piece of fellowship, but that's not a definition of fellowship. Unity of spirit because a shared belief and conviction which leads to shared behaviors. That's what we want to talk about this morning. The word fellowship is used 20 times in the New Testament, but really it's seen first in how the nation of Israel functions as a unit in the Old Testament. If you look at the Old Testament and you spend not much time looking at the nation of Israel, you realize that they had a shared goal and a shared mission and they were working together to please God and to worship God and to hold God in high esteem. And they did that as a nation together. And that's really what fellowship is. It's a common goal, a common mission. And by fellowship's very definition, it cannot be experienced alone and does not happen without effort and, my favorite word of all times, intentionality. Did you catch that? Fellowship cannot be done or experienced in the church set alone. It's impossible. And it takes work. It takes effort and you have to be intentional about it. It's not a spectator sport. It's not something that I can come to church, sit in my seat, and watch everyone else and go home and say, wow, I had great fellowship today. No, you didn't. You just watched everyone else have fellowship. You can't stand on the sidelines and experience fellowship. Not engaging in fellowship or koinonia, if we want to go back to the Greek, leads us to isolation. It leads us to a bitter spirit. It leads us to becoming chronic complainers. It leads us to apathy, complacency, 
and overall a lack of spiritual maturity. You say, wow, Tim, how can you say all that about that one little word, fellowship? You see, folks, if we're not together, if we're not growing in Jesus Christ, if we're not allowing the word to seep down into our very heart and our very being, and that we're becoming more like Jesus Christ, if we've isolated ourselves and we're sitting on the sideline watching everyone else, seeing what everyone else is doing, but not engaging what the Spirit of God is asking of our hearts and our lives then what you will notice about yourself is you become incredibly critical of what everyone else is doing. Another thing that my dad always used to say to us was this, those who are busy don't have time to complain. And he's right. Those are busy about the work that God has set in their heart don't have time to watch what everyone else is doing. Why? Because they're about the work that the Father gave them. And so if you notice as a believer that you've been sitting around and you've spent a lot of your time and energy complaining about what everybody else is doing, you're not doing enough. You have too much time on your hands. You're not engaged in loving people. You're not caring for the church. You're sitting back and you're watching everybody else do it. You're not engaging in fellowship. Because fellowship engages us in a shared and common goal, which is the building of the church, which, by the way, we're going to talk about next week. That's the mission that we were given. So let me help you with fellowship. Fellowship is part of every aspect of our lives as believers. Fellowship is part of my prayer life. It's part of my study. It's part of my worship. It's part of my service. It's part of my fun. It's part of the food I eat. It's part of the life events that I'm in. It's part of my celebration. It's part of my pain. See, God asked us to live life with other believers. That's what he asked us to do. And that's fellowship. It's sharing life together. And every aspect aspect of my life, he's asked me to live with other believers, to be in fellowship with them. So this morning, I want you to consider four thoughts about fellowship. The first three are incredibly, extremely practical, and they're beneficial for our everyday life. And the fourth is God's designed outcome for engaging in fellowship. It's what God designed for us, the outcome of fellowship. For the first three thoughts this morning, they're found in Ecclesiastes chapter 4. Going to be looking at verses 7 to 12. If you have a Bible, you can grab it. If not, they'll be on the screen behind me. You can follow along as we read. Here it is, Ecclesiastes chapter 4, starting in verse 7. Again, I saw futility under the sun. And you look at this and you go, Tim, what are you doing? You're starting in Ecclesiastes and nothing's worth, I mean, futility means it's worthless. So Solomon wrote the book of Ecclesiastes. This is toward the end of his life. He's lived a long life. Remember that Solomon was the wisest man basically that ever lived. And he's looking back at his life and he's, he's realizing some things about life, some things that really mattered, some things that didn't matter, but some things that really grabbed his attention. And when he writes the book of Ecclesiastes saying, I tried everything and here's the stuff that, let me boil it down for you. Let me, you don't need to live the life that I lived. Let me just tell you what it was like and let me help you miss some of the pitfalls. That's what he's writing. 
So here we are. There is a person without a companion, without even a son or a brother. And though there, there is no end to all his struggles, his eyes are still not content with riches. Who am I struggling for, he asks. And depriving myself of good things. This too is futile and a miserable task. Stop for a minute. Solomon says this. Look, there's this guy and he has nobody. He has, doesn't have another fellow in the ship with him. He has no other companion, it says. He doesn't have a son. He doesn't have, there's no one around him. There's nobody with him. And he's working hard. He's working hard. He's working hard. And he gains all this riches in life. And he has all this stuff. Davey has everything you could imagine. You imagine that sports car? He's got it. He has everything that you could ever want. And he looks at it and he says, why in the world have I put all this effort in? There's no one to enjoy it with. And Solomon's, he had it all. He had everything you could ever want. And he says, yeah, but what I realized is I could accumulate all this stuff. I can work all this, all my life for all of this. But if I have no one to be with, this is incredibly empty. So then he goes on and he begins to explain what it's like to not be companionless, to have people in my life. And this is what he says. Look at this. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their efforts. For if either falls, his companion can lift him up, but pity to the one who falls without another to lift him up. Also, if two lie down together, they can keep warm. But how can one person alone keep warm? And if someone overpowers one person, two can resist him. A cord of three strands is not easily broken. Solomon starts this by saying, look, it's not good to be alone. It's not good to have anyone in your life. It's better to have people around you. He's just really relating a principle from Genesis. You remember this? In Genesis chapter 2, when God looked at Abraham, I mean Abraham, <laughs> Adam. Let's go back here and get the, the story straight. Adam. And you remember Adam was naming all the animals and he didn't find anyone who was like him. You remember this? And God said this. He said, it's not good for man to be alone. And Solomon lives through his life and he goes, hey, God was right. Ever been there? <laughs> you ever tried everything on your own and finally you stop and you go, hold it. God was right. We all get there. I hope you've gotten to that place. Well, Solomon says, he's just relating what God has already said. It's not good to be alone. It's not good to live life by yourself. So let me give you the three thoughts. Here they are. Thought number one, working together or being together is a bigger reward. A good reward for their effort. You get more work done when you're with someone else than you do when you're alone, and you say, well, Tim, what's that? What about fellowship? Well, see, when God ordained fellowship, remember, it's a, it's a common goal. It's a shared goal. It's working together. It's living life together. And God knew something about us. He knew that if we have a companion and we work with someone else, we get far more accomplished. If you work by yourself, are you, some of you are really easily distracted when you work by yourself. Is that not true? Some of you, when you start to work by yourself, you say, wow, it would be much better if I went 
and watch something right now instead of did this work. Or maybe it would be better if I took a nap right now than get this work done. Or maybe I should go have a snack. Or maybe I should go see what so-and-so is doing. Or maybe I should call them right now to see what they're... And we go through all these things and we don't end up getting much done at all. And Solomon is so practical and he says, look, if you fellowship with one another, if you live life together, you'll get a lot more done. You'll get a lot more done. Hey, I know this. I've been part of this in my own life. The guys that helped this fall in the building of, well, this winter in the building of the building, when we all worked together, Mark, I see Mark sitting here this morning, and, and we were working on one section, and Mark took the windows, and he started putting the windows together. Do you realize that if Mark hadn't started putting the win windows together, when we finished the other things that we were doing, we would have had to go do the windows? But when we work together, when all of us do different jobs at different times in different ways, a lot more, there's a great reward for working together. Mission teams that I've been on, we've done incredible amounts of work in a short time. Ministry teams that we have here at the church, one of the reasons we don't start ministries with one person is because of this principle right here. Because when we do ministry in fellowship, together, a shared common goal, far more gets done and we don't end up dried up, shriveled up with no more energy left because we're all by ourselves. There's a reward for all of our effort. That's thought number one. Thought number two found in verses 10 and 11 is this. It, we help each other. And he said it this way in those verses. He says, when one falls, someone is there to help you up. When one is cold, someone is there to warm you up. And you say, well, that's not really all that deep, but think about your own life. Think of the dangers that you face in your life every day. There's a lot of them. There's addictions and there's distractions. And we become consumed with our own life, our own events. We fall into the pit of self our jobs, our desires, our fun, ease and security for us, they cause us all to fall down because we get consumed with us and we stop doing what we're supposed to do. And when he looks at this, he says, look, we're all going to trip. We're all going to fall. We're all going to struggle. Anybody here, anybody in any of these theaters who has never struggled? If so, can we meet afterward? I would like to chat with you because you're not living, you're dead. And Solomon writes this and he says, look, you can't live life on your own because you're going to struggle through life. And if you're struggling through life like everyone is, then you need someone with you who gets the chance to reach out when you're discouraged or when you fell again and says, don't just lay there. Come on, get up. When I thought about how Solomon writes this, and he writes it about being cold, I thought of this. I don't think, I don't think he just means, I don't think the Spirit of God just means physically cold. Because I thought about my own life. And I don't know about you, Christ follower, but have you ever been spiritually cold? You ever been at the place in your life where, yeah, you're reading the Word, and you're showing up at church, 
but your heart's spiritually cold. I've been there. You say, hey, you're a pastor. Yeah, I'm human just like you. I've been there. And if it weren't some, for some people in my life who, are, who I'm close to, who get to speak into my life and say, hey, Tim, how's it going? What God's, what's God saying to you? Hey, Tim, don't give up. <laughs> don't quit. Some people who came along me, beside me and encouraged me, and my, they warmed me in my faith. That's what it is. Then I would be the guy who falls with no one to pick him up. And fellowship is this, it's brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ who are living close enough to one another who can say, hey, I see you stumbled. You may not be on your face, you may not be on your knees, but I saw you stumbled this week. What's going on? Here, come. Is there a way for me to pray for you? Can I encourage you with a verse? Hey, you got this. You can do this. See, it's not a big ministry. It's us living life with one another. It's us being in close proximity to one another. It's us caring. That's fellowship. That's fellowship. See, we need fellowship to continue on our life journey with God so that we can grow and become mature in our faith. We need to help each other on our walk with God. Thought number three found in verse 12. We could keep going with this, but thought number three is this. If one is overpowered, two can resist, and three are even better. (laughs) You ever been overpowered? You ever been at a point in your spiritual life or in your physical life where it was just too much? You couldn't handle it anymore. You ever been there? You ever been at a point in your life where in your family stuff is just going south enough that you just throw your hands up and go, I can't do this. God says having a companion, having fellowship with other believers is because they're there to protect you. They're there to look out for you. They're there to look at you and say, hey, I've got your back. Can I stop for a minute with these thoughts? I want you to think about something, about all of these thoughts for a minute. We always think in the big. We think in the, the mac. We, we, we always think that this has to be something big and it's a whole church thing and it's, it's not. I need you to get that out of your mind. I want you to think about one or two people in your life. See, the reality is with our phones and, and Facebook and all that stuff that we have, all that social stuff that we have in our life makes us believe that we have hundreds of friends and all these people that care about us. They don't. I hate to tell you that, but they don't. They're just looking for likes. That's all it is. The reality is, is that you and I are created for four or five close relationships. And that's really about all we can handle. I'm sorry, but we're not good enough to handle more than that. Our brains don't function that way. And our hearts don't function that way. We really only can care well for four or five other people. And they can only care well for four or five other people as well. It's just the way it is. 
And so these verses and these thoughts, God is telling us, look, fellowship is about having two or three people in your corner who live life with you, who care about you, who get you, who love you in spite of your weirdness. They still care for you. They know you fall. They know you sin. They know that you're going to trip and they want to be there for you. That's Christian fellowship. And he looks at this and he says, look, if you've got someone in your corner who can look at you and look you in the eye and say, look, I've, I'm, I'm here with you no matter what happens in your life. I don't care if you fell yesterday. I've got your back. I'm here for you. I'll lift you up. And I will protect you. See, Scripture tells us this, that we need protection. Ephesians says it this way, for we struggle not against flesh and blood. It's not the physical that really gets us but against rulers and against authorities and against cosmic powers in darkness, against evil, spiritual forces in the heaven. That's what we fight against. The Satan looks at your life as a Christ follower and he says, look, if I can mess him up, he'll take other, if I can mess her up, they'll take other people with them. And you need believers who are in your corner, who are, know your heart and are praying and holding your hand and protecting you. Now, God, by the Holy Spirit, promises us protection and he will give us everything that we need. That's his promise. But he also gives us other believers who fellowship and live life with us to help us in the journey that we're on. It's for protection. That's why we do small groups. That's why we encourage you to read scripture with other people. It's so that we have koinonia, fellowship, and we protect one another. The last thought this morning is this, and this is how God brings this all together. He uses those things to help us, to protect us, to give us a helping hand, to encourage us, but he does it to create unity in the body. This is thought number four, is unity in the body so that everyone who looks at us sees him. See, unity doesn't come from our hearts. We're by nature ornery. You are. You can admit it. Go ahead. Shake your head. You are. By nature, we don't always get along, right? We like to have our own way. We like to do things our way. And God says this, look, if you live in fellowship with one another, if the characteristics of Christ are being found in you, there will be unity that is unexplainable. And it's only because of what God is doing in you. And fellowship leads to the unity of the body. Let me read this. Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 to 14. Therefore, as God's chosen ones, holy and dearly loved, put on compassion and kindness and humility, gentleness and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a grievance against another, just as the Lord has forgiven you, you are also to forgive. And above all, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Acts 2.44 said it this way, And now all the believers were together, and they held all things in common. They were in unity. Why? Because the characteristics of Jesus Christ were being worked out in them, and koinonia, fellowship, shared companionship toward the common goal, was happening within their lives. The church, our definition, the community of all true believers in Jesus Christ who live in fellowship with one another. Who live 
Christ to one another. Because that's really what fellowship is. You're living out the person of Jesus Christ to one another. The more we live in fellowship, the more we can and will accomplish for the kingdom of God. The more we live Christ, the more Christ will be seen. Let me finish by saying this to you as as a local assembly, a local body, as Mossbrook Church. Let me say this to you this morning. As I look around and I watch you function as a church, my heart is encouraged because I see fellowship. It's not an in the big ministry. Oh, I see it there. But I watch you guys live life together. I watch you guys care for one another. I love hearing about things that happened that I knew nothing about until after they happened. Because it's fellowship. It's living Christ. I love watching our body, this expression of the church, change this community. And I hear it all the time. I hear that you care for people, that you love on people, that you work together for the common goal of sharing Jesus Christ and caring. I watch you pray for one another. I watch you encourage one another. I watch you show up for one another. Thank you. It's an encouragement to my heart. But by doing that, you're living out Christ and you're building the kingdom of God. That's fellowship. That's fellowship. The band's going to do a special for us. I want you to just sit back. I want you to watch because there's a video that goes with it. And this, this, this special that they're going to do is a picture of the expression of fellowship being lived out. It's being Christ. It's living out Christ to the community. And then I'll come back up and close after they finish. Father, would that be the, our heart's cry that we would just seek first and foremost to build your church. By living in fellowship with one another, by being there, by encouraging and lifting up and helping, by reigniting the fire spiritually in each other's hearts, that we would live in unity with one another and we would share the truth of who Jesus is with this community. That because we're different, folks would see Christ in us. And so our prayer this morning is not that we would be something special, but that folks would see you in us. Would you help us this week to care for our brothers and sisters in Christ? in simple ways. Would you help us to lift each other up and to encourage one another? Would you help us to continue in fellowship with one another until you take us home? Go before us. Encourage our hearts. Make us like you. In your name we pray. Amen. Have a great week. Be the church. Do well.